Before beginning, let's cover a few housekeeping items. Firstly, the show is for informational purposes only. Secondly, the show is made for people with little to no understanding of Bitcoin. The information included are directionally accurate generalizations. Our goal is to simplify as much as possible. And lastly, if you're more of a visual learner, head over to our YouTube channel, also called Weights and Measures. You can find a link in the show notes of each episode. Welcome to the Weights and Measures podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is John Galt. And I'm Alexi. And in the spirit of Bitcoin, we are going to remain anonymous for the show. I'm the Bitcoin curious counterpart. What got me so curious is I remember growing up and seeing my dad have his pension keep getting cut and or retirement date has been getting pushed back over the years. And I just started asking myself, why is all this happening? And naturally stumbled upon what is Bitcoin? So that's your first question, huh? Mm-hmm. What is Bitcoin? So before I answer, I'd like to play this clip. It's from the Today Show in 1994. What, what is internet anyway? Internet is uh, that massive computer right. network, mm-hmm. the one that's becoming really big now. What do you mean? That's big? How does one, what do you write to it? Like mail? No, a lot of people use it and communicate. I guess they can communicate with NBC writers and producers. Allison, can you explain what internet is? What, is what it? does it mean? It's a, it's a giant computer network made up, made up of, uh, started from... Oh, I thought you were going to tell us what this was. It's so like a, look a in computer billboard. It's, it's not a... It's, it, it's, it's a computer billboard, but it's nationwide, right. and it's, it's several uh, universities and everything all joined together. And right. And others can access it. And, right. And it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. It Just came great. in really handy during the quake. A lot of people, that's how they were communicating out to tell family and loved ones they were okay because all the phone lines were down. You don't need, you don't need that? You don't need a phone line to operate no. internet? No. So as you can tell from that pretty funny clip, they have no clue. There's a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion about what is the internet? It was an 11-year-old technology at that point. Uh, they generally, they say the internet's birthday was 1983. So... That clip was from 80, or 94, so it was 11 years old. The thing with Bitcoin is it's only 14 years old right now, so it's very young, just like the internet was in, in that clip where everyone's kind of like, what is this thing? What, what, they, it's hard to even wrap your mind around because it's this weird new... Yeah, and it's funny because I can't imagine anyone growing up today to be that amount of confused about what the internet is. Right, everyone just accepts it. Yeah, we just... We just type in the URL www.whatever yep. and things work and it functions and nobody really questions it. Yeah, you can send your favorite memes and you get on Reddit and Twitter and all your favorite shows and websites and it's, it's no problem. But 15 years ago, it was very, very difficult. I don't know how old all of our listeners are, but... It's more than 30 years, 94 is... Right, well, and let's just even... 29 years ago. Even in the early 2000s, it was slow and painful to Still use. Still rudimentary. And yeah, very. So Bitcoin is going along the same path as as the internet was, where it's really misunderstood and complicated and everyone's kind of like scratching their head like, what even is this thing? Bitcoin. To answer your question now, what is Bitcoin? It is the outcome of about 40 years of attempts, failed attempts, and tinkering by computer scientists all across the world trying to make 
internet money uh, or electronic money that lives online. And they had all failed for various reasons. And then in 2008, um, Bitcoin was created. It was born into the world. And it's been running ever since for 14 years now. And it's not completed in the sense that the internet wasn't completed in 94, nor is it completed right now. It's kind of this ongoing, ever-evolving. Yes, that's right. So the current version of Bitcoin is better than it was 10 years ago. And we can safely assume in 10 years, it will be even better and easier to use 10 years from now. So um, the failed attempts in like the 1990s, there was all these electronic monies that came and went. There was one called the e-gold, there was one called hash cash, and there was one called bit gold, and there was another one called the Liberty Reserve. And these all failed for various reasons. Um, the individual that made Bitcoin, they cited the, that the reason all those other electronic monies failed was due to their centralized nature, which is a fancy way of saying there was a vulnerable weak spot in the currency that could be exploited. That or, someone can have control over. Exactly. That someone could go and if they just hit this one vulnerable spot, the rest of it would collapse. So is it safe to say that all currencies today, like the US dollar, the euro, the yen, they are all centralized? Yeah. Okay. Very much so. Okay. They literally have what are called central banks. Okay. That are like, it's one building, usually a couple couple buildings that decide how much of the dollars or the yens or the euros that we're going to print um and and, internet money was failing because of this centralization yeah they were trying to structure it in a way that basically was took the government out of the equation and just let it be like a private money so to speak um that was just ran by a company which obviously comes with certain risks most of us would trust the government to be a good steward of the money rather than a private company um but with with bitcoin there is no company or government behind it it's a it's decentralized it's a completely decentralized electronic money that lives on the internet it's like sending an email like email, no one owns email. It's just ran on everyone's computers. There isn't a company that owns the email yeah. protocol. There is no company that owns the Bitcoin protocol. It's just a bunch of people deciding to use it and run it, run the software. No different than you using an email. You can use Bitcoin on your computer. So what is Bitcoin? Well, it's... It's simply some software that you can download on your computer or your phone or whatever, and you can transact. You can send money to and from other people. And it's just as easy as using an email. You just get an at someone's address, you get their Bitcoin address, and you punch it into your send button, and you click send X amount of Bitcoin to someone. Um, so Bitcoin is just basically like a digital currency? Yeah, that lives online. Okay. But the, the the big distinction, and it might look, initially people might say, well, how is that any different than when I go on to Venmo or Cash App or Zelle yeah. or my bank? How is that any different? And it's because fair, fair I have question. dollars on it my all, yeah. bank when I, when I log in. It's all digits on a screen at this point, yeah. right? Like yeah, cash I hardly is, ever, hardly ever cash. use cash. Most of us use a card or 
cash up or you're scanning a QR code or whatever? Yeah, that's all a fair question. The only difference between the digits in your bank account and the digits on your Bitcoin account is under the hood what makes these units appear and and how you get these units and who's controlling the units behind the curtain, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So with, with Bitcoin, like let's say you have a cash app or Venmo and you bought Bitcoin on these or Robinhood or Fidelity or there's a bunch of different uh, websites or they're called exchanges that you can buy Bitcoin on where you send them dollars and they say here's that amount of of Bitcoin because you can buy five dollars of Bitcoin and they will give you five dollars worth of Bitcoin back. So you don't have to buy one. You don't have to buy at a time. Correct. You can buy. There's up to eight subunits, eight decimals of Bitcoin. So. When I buy $5 of Bitcoin, I get 0. 0.0000. However many it is that Yeah, day. they're called Satoshis. They're these subunits. And when I buy $5, I get about, let's say, 20,000 Satoshis. And then I can then take that yeah. 20,000 Satoshis and I can send my friend 1,000 Satoshis. Or I can send him one Satoshi. Or I can, you, you have these, yeah. these things to send around. Which that's a very common concern that I've heard from people is... They see that Bitcoin's sitting at 70000 and they think, oh, I can't buy a Bitcoin. It's way too much. Right, so they go buy Dogecoin. Yeah, and then when the price dips down to 15 nobody bothers to buy it because it's not stable. Yeah, they're all concerned, right? And it takes, um, takes a lot of time and energy and research and study to figure out what the difference between Bitcoin is and, and let's say, Dogecoin or Shiba Inu coin or Ethereum. The difference is is night and day because with Bitcoin, since there isn't a company or a person that can control it, you don't have what's called counterparty risk. Where, whereas with Ethereum and Dogecoin and all so these, any other cryptocurrency, it's yeah, safe to say all those other cryptocurrencies, you essentially have counterparty risk. Where there's a company or CEO that launched the cryptocurrency. And can this to this day, they can change how many units are in circulation. And it's the same with the dollar. It's the same with every government currency. Bitcoin and, let's, and gold, like physical gold getting dug out of the ground, are the only two, and silver, uh, another one, that no human can control how much is in circulation. It's kind of this decentralized, like gold is just distributed throughout the earth. Yeah, and we have to find it. And you have to go dig it out and find it and spend a lot of money to get it. And Bitcoin replicated that process where there isn't anyone that can just say, I'm going to make more Bitcoin. It's hard. There will never be more than than 21 million whole Bitcoin in circulation. It's a hard cap. It's a ceiling. And that's not counting the Bitcoin that people have lost. Yeah, that's right. On various devices. Yep, they estimate. And thrown it away. Yep, over the years when they thought it was worthless. So they threw away their computer that had, you know, thousands of Bitcoin on it. And And then the price goes up and now they're trying to find it. Yeah, and they're digging through the dumpster or the, the landfill trying to find their Bitcoin. We know Bitcoin is is scarce because when you it's lost it's lost forever and there's no way to get it back there's no one to call you can't call the bitcoin company that doesn't exist there's no hotline it does not exist which is scary for most people and it's understandable because you have to be extremely responsible with with storing this thing it's like driving a car or or 
owning a gun. You have to take it serious. Like you can't mess up. Once it's gone, it's there's gone. real consequences to this thing. Yeah, which is scary, and most people don't want to do that, or at least are scared. But it's not scary to buy five dollars of Bitcoin and send it. Like that's not that scary. It's five. It's five dollars. So yeah. to like that's how we, I would encourage everyone to start. Like just buy five dollars and send it and receive it. See what it's like. It's it really is. It's, it's the same as Zell. It's it is, but it's it's magic because it's it's so instantaneous that with Zell and and all these other normal payments everyone uses, it takes takes a lot of time to show up in your account. And even then, it's not. Um, it's called the term is final settlement, which means the banks that you were transacting with they take twenty four hours, sometimes forty eight hours to do what's called final settlement, where they agree like okay. Jane sent John $100. They will agree at the end of the day or the end of two days. With Bitcoin, the final settlement happens every couple minutes. And that's without a bank. That's without a person. That's all computers. That's all Bitcoin is, is millions of computers scattered around the earth. And the computers are ran by just average people. They're people like you and me who just decided to, yeah, I want to try this Bitcoin thing. So you download the software, you download an app and you click buy Bitcoin on the cash app or there's a bunch of different exchanges. A lot of people use Coinbase um, and you click buy Bitcoin and then you own this thing and you can send it and receive it to anyone anywhere on the planet 24 seven, 365. And there's no one that can stop you. No one can there's the bank. The Bitcoin doesn't close on the weekends. Like all the banks do. There's no bank holiday. This thing runs 24-7, 365. Magic internet money. Magic internet money. Doesn't turn off. That's right. That's right. So do you have another question here? Um, so you mentioned gold and its scarcity, and then you, and then you, you compare that to Bitcoin and its scarcity. Um, what makes gold scarce, and how does that compare to what makes Bitcoin scarce? Yeah, so the, the kind of the meta question if you will the big question to ask is why did gold win why was gold the best money for 5000 years why wasn't it silver or why wasn't it copper or yeah there's been hundreds of different monies if like anthropologists have all these papers where they study old civilizations and they have thousands of different versions of money some were beads some were necklaces some were rocks some were salt some were bushels of wheat some were stones some were and I mean, obviously, different groups have access to some of these more than others. Exactly. So then it, makes, then it begs the question, well, what makes one money better than another form of money? And obviously, you want something that's scarce. Yeah. Because if it's just like blades of grass or something that's infinite, well, it doesn't really make a good... It needs to be something that has some value or at least perceived value by the people. And that's something that can't be just created out of thin air. Um, because there, there's all these stories throughout history where if a civilization was using beads as a money, if another neighboring country or civilization found them and saw that, they, oh, you were using beads as, as money, okay. They went home and had a manufacturing factory and they manufactured all these beads. And a couple of years later, they cruise back with a boatload. Literally, this happened. There's a lot of literature on this. They showed up with a boatload of beads and started buying everything. And for a while, it takes a long time for everyone to realize, holy smokes, these people are just creating our money out of thin... Like, it's easy for them to, to make yeah. this. So all of a sudden, you have a hyperinflation with beads. And now, 
And now your currency is worthless. And now you just gave, you sold all your valuable stuff yeah. to these people in return for beads that are now worth, worth nothing. So gold, that was the hardest thing to do with. Scarce. Gold was the most scarce thing you had to, it was exactly. And it's it was not just easy to it, move around. Well, it was, it's, yeah, exactly. It wasn't like, a, there was some money called the rye stones, uh, and they were like the size of cars, and they never moved, but you could, they basically just accredited ownership to the people in the village. That's one version of, yeah. of money, but there's all kinds of them. And it just begs the question, what are the properties of money? And generally, there's about seven properties that um, people agree on. Anthropologists and monetary historians all agree on there being seven properties of money. And my source here is the Federal Reserve of the United States. This is their, their official government website. Their first one, they say, is durability meaning it's going to last throughout time. Like salt or a food, like a banana, wouldn't make a good money. Because over time, it would rot. Yeah. But if you have a bar of gold, it's going to... It stays. It stays. It doesn't rust. Exactly. The next property is portability, meaning you can move this thing around and exchange it with people. Like a cow wouldn't make a great money because it's gigantic and, and heavy. And if it decides to stop <laughs> moving. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, the next property is divisibility, meaning you can break it down into smaller units. So a $20 bill and a $5 bill and a $1 bill, right? Those it's are, all a dollar. It's all this. Exactly. And you can cut it up into smaller units. Um, so that's, a, and that's the third property. The fourth property is uniformity. Meaning the difference between your dollar bill and my dollar bill, they're still the same amount. We can do the same thing with it. So each money has to be, each unit of the money has to be equal to the same. Yep. And then the fifth property is limited supply, also known as scarcity. Meaning it can't just be infinite. It has to have some restraint on how many are in circulation. And then the sixth property is acceptability, meaning vendors and businesses have to be willing to accept the money. You can't just walk into a store and hand them this random piece of garbage from the street or a cow and say, I'm going gonna, gonna to buy your thing with this cow. They're going to they're gonna obviously laugh at you. Laugh at you. And then the last property is verifiability, meaning you can verify that this money isn't counterfeit, that it isn't a fake thing that someone made like sometimes you'll see people at the store hold up your bill under the light yeah and that's just someone like that's or with the, the marker or with a marker yeah there's all kinds of ways to verify that you're not handing someone a fake 20 dollar bill yeah with gold back in the day there was there's and to this day there exists fool's gold where basically it's like lead but they surround it with a thin layer of gold and then go and say this is you know a thousand dollars worth of gold really it's five bucks worth and people fool, so it's called fool's gold. And that's a real problem with gold. It's, it's expensive to verify. Um, and Bitcoin basically just takes all those properties and maxes them out. It's the most portable. It's the most durable. It's the most divisible. It's the most scarce. It's easy to verify. It's basically all those properties maxed out. So I just bought $5 worth of Bitcoin on Cash App. How can I make sure that it's never going to go away or like just disappear on you? Yeah. Yeah. How do you trust this thing? Yeah. Yeah. So it's in its 14 years of existence, not one person anywhere has ever 
just had their Bitcoin disappear. Now, the big caveat to that is you didn't leave it on the Cash App. So the unique thing, this might blow people's minds, but it's, and it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. You can take physical possession of your Bitcoin. So you have it on Cash App. You just bought $5 worth. You can send that Bitcoin to your own wallet, meaning you can literally just take that Bitcoin. It's on the Cash App. You can put it so that it's physically, quote unquote, physically on your laptop or on your phone or in your special wallet. It's like a thumb drive specifically for storing your Bitcoin. If but because and the big difference here is it's like burying gold in your backyard versus leaving gold at the bank. If you leave gold at a bank and a bank robber robs the bank and takes your gold, you have nothing. You have nothing and it's not gold's fault, right? You can't be like, "Dang it, gold, gold my gold disappeared." Can't call it gold, gold sucks. Company. Gold sucks because yeah. a bank robber if Cash App gets hacked, and these hacks happen all the time, anything online is very hackable. And hacks happen all the time. So people's Bitcoin gets stolen from their exchange. But not from their own possession. But not from their own possession, correct. So for 14 years, no one has ever had their Bitcoin just, just disappear from them. It's, it's the equivalent. If, yeah, as long as it was offline, yes, stored, it did not disappear. Yeah, the big caveat and the big warning is you have to take correct possession that you have to store it in a safe manner um and, and then what really quick the last other thing to compare it to is you may have heard of the pirate bay or torrenting or file sharing it has a lot of different names but there are websites online that can cannot be killed the government is that like a, like you download movies illegally yeah most of it is probably illegal uh, and i'm not uh, but it's ad- like movie downloading yes it's okay. movies games all anything that can be downloaded online there are these websites now i'm not condoning this awful behavior but people it it's essentially it's unstoppable governments have tried to stop this from happening for decades and these file sharing websites just pop up like weeds and people continue downloading stuff for free without any without much resistance it's just unstoppable and bitcoin is has the same exact dna of these file sharing websites where this thing is just you can, governments can try to stop it like you can shut down a website but five more websites that do the same thing just popped up overnight and now you have to go ban those five and it's just this infinite battle of trying to stop it. and bitcoin is of it has the same exact dna where it's it's just this unkillable beast that no matter how hard you try so governments can't ban it that's right yeah that's right so china let, let's say i think china is a good example because they're the most uh, totalitarian kind of hardcore strict on what their people can use they have tried to ban bitcoin like half a dozen times it's like every other year you see a headline china bans bitcoin and people will be like, see, I, I knew governments would ban Bitcoin. And then a year goes by. And, and they have the same headline. And they have the same headlines. Like how many times, if, if you were successfully banning it, it would only just take once. So they are, they're basically, it's basically running an advertisement for Bitcoin. Like why would you need to ban this thing? Multiple times. Multiple times. Why yeah. was once not enough? Why, yeah. So they keep trying to ban it. And the other big thing is how can you trust Bitcoin is, and I can't say this about all the other cryptocurrencies. That's why I don't advocate for them at all. 
I wouldn't tell anyone to put even a dollar in any of them because the United States government has classified Bitcoin as a commodity. That is to say, it's on the same page as gold and silver and wheat and corn and it's these things that no one controls. So they're in a they're in a regulation they're in a category of regulation that means no one runs this stuff, meaning it's legal and it's okay. Whereas all the other cryptocurrencies are what's called a security, meaning it's a company and it has a CEO and someone that has control over this thing. Like no one controls the output of corn and there are individual farmers, but like corn itself, no one owns corn. Yeah. No one owns gold. No one owns silver. No one owns Bitcoin. Someone owns Ethereum and Dogecoin and all those things. So those are whole, I wouldn't tell anyone to touch those. Whereas with Bitcoin, it's, it's a commodity, meaning no one runs this thing. And the United States government has very clearly said Bitcoin is a commodity. Not a security. Not a security which means this thing is an investable, safe thing to put your money in because no one owns it. So in terms of government coming after Bitcoin, well, they've been saying the exact opposite for for years now. So hopefully that's sufficient for um, what is Bitcoin. We'll get more into uh, the details in later episodes, but that should be hopefully good enough for now. Bye.